All right. Well, this morning I'm continuing in the sermon series that I've entitled Revival and uh, looking basically at uh, what the Bible has to say about prayer and revival. And it kind of came out of a conviction that there's a gap, isn't there? There's a gap between what God has promised and what we experience in our lives. There's a gap between all that God is and all that we are. And as I look around, it's like, who wants to live just in complacency the rest of their lives? Who wants to just kind of be okay with the status quo? Personally, I was convicted this past year just of that need to press in more to God, to go after and, 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 and go after him more, to see more of his presence and power in our church, in our community, in our world. Amen? So that's kind of where this has come from, is that encouraging all of you uh, to just press in in a deeper way to God. A couple of things we've been doing during this Lenten season you should be getting, hopefully, if you're on our list, a text or email every morning uh, just to help you in prayer. If you haven't been getting that and you want to, just fill out that connection card in the bulletin. We're also in the middle of a 21-day fast where however you're, whatever you're setting aside, whether it's food or something else, the goal is to set aside something you normally turn to for your comfort, for your joy, for your satisfaction, and to seek God instead. So we're praying for revival. There was a quote I came across this week Hopefully this will work. Yes, it did. Uh, This is a quote from the Hebrides revival in Scotland in the 20th century, and it really struck me. It said this, Brethren, it is just so much humbug to be waiting for this, meaning revival, night after night, month after month, if we ourselves are not right with God. I must ask myself, is my heart pure? Are my hands clean? You know, as much as revival is a corporate thing, it's a community thing, there is also a sense in which it depends upon every individual, you know. It depends upon all of us and our relationship with God. And what if God wanted to pour out his spirit in a deeper way, but he was waiting on you, right? What if he was waiting on you to come to repentance, to faith in him? What if he was waiting on you to give yourself to him? So earlier in this series, I had uh, mentioned Richard Lovelace's book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Renewal. He said when he looked at the history of revivals around the world, they essentially had two preconditions. One is a deeper awareness of the holiness of God, that God is transcendent, other, perfect in every way, that his expectations, his law, everything is so much greater than us. And then the depth of our sin, that we are so far from who God has called us to be. That the gap between who God is, what he has promised, and what we have and what we take advantage of is so far. And the more we understand that gap, the more we are brought to a place of repentance and hungering and thirsting for God. And so if nothing else, keep these two things in mind. If you want to pray for revival, pray for these two things. Pray, God, give me a deeper understanding of your holiness and a deeper awareness of my sin. And there's few places in the Bible that really illustrate that gap more than Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so what I've been doing over the past six weeks is looking at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is called the Beatitudes, a bunch of blessed are statements about the person that God favors. And I'm just going to quickly go through them again here, and we're going to be up to that one in yellow, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
And that's the one we're going to look at this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I don't want you to get offended by the masculine language there. When you go through the Bible, it says we're all children of God. Men and women are all children of God when we're, we come to faith in Jesus and we're adopted as his children. Uh, but the phrase sons of God has more to do with imitating the character of the Father. So when it talks about being a son of God, it's talking about those who imitate the character of the Father. And so it's saying that God is a God of peace. And those who are peacemakers are imitating the character of God. So one example among many, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget that even Jesus in Isaiah was called the Prince of Peace. That is the character of God. God is a God of peace. And those who are peacemakers are sons of God because they are imitating their father. And so three questions basically I want to answer as a result of this. First of all, what is peace? Secondly, what does it look like to be a peacemaker? And then thirdly, how do we become peacemakers? So what does the Bible mean when it talks about peace? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? And how do we become peacemakers? So what is peace? I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think about defining peace is the absence of conflict. And I don't think that's quite right. You know, often you think of peace as the absence of conflict. There's no war, no struggle, no conflict, but that's not always the case. It's not always peace. You know, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world, and there's conflict on every side. Conflict between man and God, conflict between humans, conflict between humans and nature, conflict between humans and themselves even on the inside. And Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, defined conflict as this. It's a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. That conflict happens when I have desires, expectations, and you have different desires, expectations, and they don't match. James 4, 1 through 4 puts it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So conflict happens when you have desires and goals and they're frustrated by someone else, right? You want a home that is clean and you work hard and you scrub the floors and you dust and you put the books in order of size in the bookcase and then your husband comes home and he throws things on the floor. Your kids come in and they track dirty shoes in the house. How do you feel? Right? Where does anger and conflict come from? You want something, you want a clean home, but you don't get it. Sunday afternoon, and you just want to relax and watch a football game, and you've worked hard all week, and all you ask for is three hours of uninterrupted time. And then a kid keeps interrupting you, or you got to go visit a mother-in-law, or something like that happens, and it just gets in the way again. You want something, but you don't get it. Where does conflict come from? Where do quarrels come from? There's something that you desire, and it's frustrated by someone else. Peace, though is not just the absence of conflict. Because I bet there's some of you out there that are like me. You're easygoing people. You're really good at sweeping things under the rug and pretending they're not there. What conflict? There's no conflict. I'm I'm, I'm a peaceful person. But peace is not just the absence of conflict. I think peace is found on the other side of conflict. It's the resolution of conflict. Because we live in a broken, fallen world and there is... Conflict on every side. And you can't just pretend it away and say, as it says in Jeremiah, peace, peace. 
where there is no peace. Because that's what the false prophets are like, saying everything's good when it's not good. Turning a blind eye to suffering. Not paying attention to the heartache of the world. You know, as long as I'm fine in my suburban house, you know, and things are good in my job and my family, who cares what's going on in the Ukraine? Who cares what's going on in Africa? Who cares what's going on anywhere else? You know, peace. There's peace. But Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. That true peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the resolution of conflict. It takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? True peace takes a lot of courage to work through conflict in order to achieve peace, to wade into the battle in order to bring a ceasefire. You know, again, speaking of the Ukraine there, this is why many theologians believe there is such a thing as a just war, right? That, that the church is not supposed to go to war, right? It's not about the church like the Crusades, that's wrong. But that governments sometimes have to wield the sword and go to war in order to bring peace. That where there is evil advancing, that there is a just war when all other means, all other attempts have been exhausted, and that sometimes war is necessary in order to bring peace. That peace is not the absence of conflict, that peace is found in bringing resolution to conflict. So, what does it look like to be a peacemaker? As Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? I think you might think of, of two elements. The first is, think about relationships between you and others. How do you seek to live at peace with others? A peacemaker is someone who is always seeking to live at peace with others. The Bible encourages often that we should seek to live at peace with others. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there's a couple qualifiers in there, right? Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes... You're doing all you can, but it doesn't just depend on you. It depends on another person who does not want peace. But it does encourage you as far as it depends on you. Try to live at peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's a high calling and a high ask there, isn't it? It's like, make every effort. If there is conflict between you and someone else, as far as it depends on you, he says, strive to live at peace. Make every effort to live at peace. Not to sweep it under the rug and pretend there's nothing there, but to be willing to go through conflict, to wade into the battle in order to bring true peace. So let me just get practical and give you six quick examples of ways that we seek to make peace. How about this one? Listen, how many of you are good at this? James 1, 19 to 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God's desire, God desires. You want to be a peacemaker? Become an expert in this, right? What happens when someone comes at you hot? Someone comes at you emotional? What is our natural inclination? Isn't it to get defensive? You know, to get the guard up, to be ready to fight back. But here James says, listen, you want to be a peacemaker? Be slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen. Instead of fighting back, strive to understand. Seek to empathize before you share your perspective. 
There is nothing that can diffuse an angry person like listening well, understanding where they're coming from, hearing what their grievances are, without getting defensive, without fighting back, listening first. You want to be a peacemaker? How about this one? Speak kindly. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, if you're going to meet anger with anger, what's the likelihood that it's going to become a peaceful situation? More than likely, it's just going to escalate into a battle. He says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Those who meet anger with gentleness, with kindness, are peacemakers. How about this one? Forgive those who repent. Forgiveness. Last week, no, it was last week. Two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant, how Jesus said, listen, when you don't forgive another person, it's like a servant who's been forgiven $10 billion by the king, and then he turns around and puts someone in prison for, who owes him $100. He says, when you don't forgive, you've forgotten the debt that you owe to God and everything that he has done to forgive you and show you grace. That's why Peter, when he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus replied, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. You want to be a peacemaker? Let go of the grudges. Forgive offenses. Don't keep score of what people have done against you. Fourth thing, ask for forgiveness when you wrong someone. Again, we're talking about being a peacemaker. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Those, they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers strive to live at peace as far as it depends on them. And part of that means asking for forgiveness when you wrong someone. Listen to how Jesus put it in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. So, Jesus says, all right, you came to church this morning. We're singing songs, you're praising God, and then you remember that you offended someone, that you did something to offend another person. Jesus says, stop singing, get back in your car, go drive, and go make it right with them. Go ask for forgiveness, go reconcile with them, and then come back and worship. That's how important it is to God. He says, this is how important it is to me. I'd rather have you living in peace and unity and reconciled with each other. That's worship to me. To have my children living in unity. More than the gift of your songs, your money, anything like that. I want you living in unity. Fifth way of being a peacemaker. Speak the truth in love when someone offends you. Matthew 18, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. If you, didn't, if you missed it, in the last two passages we looked at, Jesus says, okay, if you've offended someone, take the initiative and go and make it right. If someone's offended you, take the initiative, go and make it right. There's none of this wait for someone else to come to you. Don't they know what they did? How dare they? They should come and apologize. Says, no, they might not know what you've done to them. And so if someone's offended you, go and let them know what they've done. And if they won't listen to you, then bring someone else along. A friend, a counselor, a mentor, a pastor. Bring someone else along to help them understand what they've done. 
If they won't listen to you, it says that in the context of the church, bring it to the elders of the church. Bring it to the church leadership. And if they still won't repent, then it says treat them as an unbeliever, as a pagan, as a tax collector, someone who needs salvation, someone who needs repentance. But again, notice, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If that means that you've offended someone, go and make it right. If it means someone has offended you, go and make it right. In the recovery world, they call it cleaning up your side of the street. You can't worry about what other people have done, how they'll respond, but you can worry about your side of the street. If there's anything you need to clean up, anything you need to make amends for, anything you need to ask forgiveness for, you do that. Go and speak the truth in love. If you've forgotten what love is, this is what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So he's saying, when you go to tell someone how they've offended you, you don't come in hot, all angry, and yelling at them, right? He says, this is how you come in, speaking the truth in love, with patience and kindness, not rude, not keeping a record of wrongs, not easily angered. You get yourself in this frame of mind, and then you go and you let people know how they've offended you. Speak the truth in love. And while we're on that subject, can I encourage you, if you want to be a peacemaker, give others who you trust and love the permission to speak the truth and love to you. Sometimes there's things that people want to say to you, but they're afraid how you'll take it. And sometimes the best thing you can do is to the people you love say, listen, if there's anything you see in me, anything that you feel like needs to be confronted, tell me. I want to know. I won't get angry with you. I'll try not to get angry with you. I will listen. And then the sixth thing is this, living at peace with others, act in love towards everyone. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. There it is, right? Imitators of the Father, imitators of God. He causes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And peacemakers are willing to act in love towards everyone, even their enemies, even those who persecute them. It's a piece of cake, right? You guys are feeling this like, I got this covered. So being a peacemaker means you seek to live at peace with others. As long as it depends on you, you do all you can to live at peace with others. Secondly, it also means being an agent of reconciliation. In other words, where there is conflict out there that is not immediately about you, that your desire is to bring peace. Reconciliation is one of the best words to sum up the main message of Christianity, the gospel. Think about this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's a lot of reconciling language in there, right? 
says, if you want to sum up the main message of Christianity, he says it's this, that you were estranged from God. Because reconciliation, where there's reconciliation, that means there was estrangement, there was division, there was conflict, there was separation. You were separated from God because of your sins, and there was nothing you could do to bridge that gap. But God reconciled you to himself by sending his son Jesus to live the perfect life you could not live and die a sacrificial death on the cross in your place. To rise again from the dead to conquer sin and death so that all who put their trust in Jesus will have their sins forgiven, will be reconciled to God, will be made right. And now he says, you have been given that ministry of reconciliation. You're Christ's ambassadors. Go out and he says, implore others to be reconciled with Christ. Bring others to faith in Jesus. Where there's been separation, where there's been disunity, bring unity. Bring peace between people and God. Or as it says in Romans 5, 8 through 10, Paul writes, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You want to sum up the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in one word, you can't do much better than reconciliation. That God in Christ has made us reconciled, made us right with God, brought us back into a right relationship with God. And along with that, adopted people from every background into a family. I mean, I don't know, when you look around the room, maybe there's people who come from political backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, all kinds of backgrounds that might have been at war with you. That you might not have gotten along with, you might not have felt united to, but now in Christ it says you have been brought into one family. Ephesians 2, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, remember that you formerly who are Gentiles, Gentiles are those who are not Jewish, You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that's the Jewish people, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Notice what he says there. He's saying that not only by Jesus' death on the cross did he bring us into a right relationship with God, but he brought those different parties, those different ethnicities, those people who are at war into one family. It says the Jews and the non-Jews who are at war now, they are one family. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we proclaim here. We don't separate people in the church based on skin color, ethnicity, based on material you know, possessions, based on age, gender, anything. We are united as one family in Christ. So that is what it means to be a peacemaker, right? It means that we seek to live at peace with others as much as depends on us. And where we see disunity in the world, we seek to bring peace. Peace between people and God, peace between people and each other. So how do you become more of a peacemaker then? Because hopefully you have listened to this and you have felt like the calling of Jesus is pretty high. Hopefully you have people in your life and you look around and you're like, you know what, you're right. 
I was pretending there was peace there. I was kind of smoothing things over. But you're right, there's not true peace. We have not truly worked through conflict to a place of peace. Hopefully you've recognized that Jesus calls you to a high calling, not only to live at peace with others as far as it depends on you, but also to look out in the world and see where can I bring peace to others who are distanced from God, who are distanced from each other. So how do you become more of a peacemaker? Let me go back again to the Beatitudes. Because remember, these are not just a bunch of random sayings. They build upon each other. And so let me go through again the Beatitudes to show how this leads us to being a peacemaker. Jesus begins by saying, this is where it starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt before God, that they are not coming with a resume before God saying, I went to church, I was confirmed, you know, I give a certain amount of my money to the poor. No, he says, blessed are those who come before God spiritually bankrupt, recognizing they are poor in spirit. They have nothing to offer but themselves. They come empty. They recognize that they are completely dependent upon God for everything, for every single breath in their life. Blessed are those who come empty. They will be filled. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are those who mourn, who recognize that their sin is not just a a matter of the head, an intellectual thing, that yes, I'm a sinner, but feel the weight and the depth of the emotional impact of that. That it is because of the poor decisions that we've made, the sinful choices, that we have hurt other people, that we have hurt those we love, that we've hurt ourselves, and that most of all, we cause the Son of God to have to die for us. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, who look it full in the face, who don't turn away from it, who feel the full effect of it, who don't try to minimize it, don't try to rationalize it, don't try to shift the blame to other people, but who just recognize their sin and who mourn for it, they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek. Meekness is like the wild horse who has bowed his head to his rider, submitted to its master in meekness, in obedience. Blessed are the meek, those who submit themselves, recognizing, you know what, God? You know what's best for me. I, I obviously made a mess of things, and I submit myself to you. And who are also meek when it comes to their relationship with others. They are willing to take the lowest place to be a servant to be humble, to be gentle. Because they know the truth about themselves. They know that they are no great person. They know that they are full of sin. They've done terrible things. And so they're willing to serve others, to come humbly to others, to not look down on others and be, and be arrogant. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who see the gap between where they are and where God is, and they want more of God. They want to know God. They want more of his righteousness, more of his holiness in their lives. They want to be rightly related to God. They want to live right with him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who aren't satisfied, complacent with where they are. They will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Those who don't punish others for their sins because they know that God did not punish them for their sins. Those who are quick to forgive those who are quick to show mercy and grace to others, even when they don't deserve it, because they know that God did not treat them as they deserve. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those whose single desire is God, to know him and to be like him, 
who run from things that are not of him. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's where it comes from. This is not just I'm calling you to do things. I'm calling you to a heart level transformation. That's what God wants to do in your heart. To make you a peacemaker. Someone who has found peace with Christ and as a result wants to have peace with others. Knows that God was willing to send his son and he went through the struggle, right? He went through conflict. He went through the cross in order to achieve peace. He didn't just snap his fingers and bring peace. He was willing to suffer in order to bring peace. And he calls us to be willing to suffer in order to bring peace, to be willing to enter the conflict, to be willing to forgive, to be willing to ask for forgiveness, to confess, to be willing to listen, to shut our mouths and understand, to be willing to wade into the battle to bring peace to others, to be willing to share the gospel, to be willing to be a peacemaker in the lives of others. Because blessed are the peacemakers, they will be sons of God. When you've been changed on a heart level, it just brings you a heart of compassion for others, a heart of mercy towards others. Then you can listen without yelling back. You can show mercy instead of punishing when your only concern is his glory, when you are pure in heart and your desire is his glory, what is going to bring him the most honor? What's going to bring him the most honor is not me winning this argument. It's not me proving that I'm a better person than the other person. What's going to bring God the most glory is peace and unity and reconciliation. So what can I do? As far as it depends on me, what can I do to bring peace? Where do I need to listen and shut my mouth? Where do I need to confess and own, even if it's 10%, even if I was responsible for 10% of the fight, how can I own my 10% to bring peace? Where can I offer forgiveness for someone who has offended me? Where can I go and bring peace? Remember what Jesus said. Listen, you all came to worship this morning. Thank you for that. Now, if you remember that someone has something against you, if you remember that you are not living at peace with someone, I'm not going to be offended if you get up in the middle of worship and leave and walk to your car. Go and be reconciled to your brother or your sister. Go and bring peace. Go and make things right. Then come and worship. Let's have a revival of peacemakers, a revival of people who are making peace Not just peaceful people who sweep things under the rug, but people who are willing to wade into the conflict to bring true and lasting peace. Amen. Let me pray and then we're going to respond and worship. Why don't you just take a minute in silence first before I pray and just, if there's any people the Lord puts on your heart, any situations in your life, whether it's someone that you have conflict with or someone else, two people that you love that are in conflict, and ask the Lord, how can... You obey him in being a peacemaker.
Lord, we thank you that you are a God of peace, that your desire is that we would live at peace with you, and that we'd have shalom, wholeness, peace with you, peace with others, peace with nature, peace with ourselves, Lord, in every way that we'd be people of peace. And we know in this broken and fallen world that peace does not come easy. It takes courage to be peacemakers. And so we pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, that where there, wherever there is disunity, wherever there is conflict, Lord, that we would not sweep it under the rug, we would not attack it with anger, but, Lord, that we would be peacemakers, doing everything in our power to bring reconciliation and unity. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.